Welcome to the conversations that carry us. Cette conversation qui nous soutient. I am your host, Geneviève Wallen. I am an independent creator, writer, researcher, and workshop facilitator. This podcast stems from ongoing discussions sustained by peers, colleagues, and esteemed friends. Over the past few years, I realized that in my field, soul-nourishing conversations and authentic knowledge sharing happen more commonly in informal settings. I have learned so much about the realities of curating around intimate dinners, post-opening celebrations in a noisy sports bar, coffee dates, subway rides, and casual walks. These moments of intimacy is what gave life to my practice, since casual practice is deeply seated in the generosity of dialogue and counsel. I want to take advantage of this platform to democratize knowledge and contemplate new possibilities in curating. Alison Farron and I met a few years ago in Toronto, and I have always admired her passion, cultural ethics, and rigorous approach to research. It has been an immense pleasure to converse with her on a sunny Saturday morning in the spring of 2022. In this episode, Should I Stay or Should I Go?, Alyssa shares pivotal moments in her career where she took what she labeled as a calculated risk to access leadership positions outside of Toronto. In 2018, after the creation of the memorable first edition of New Blanche Scarborough, she moved to Brandon, Manitoba to become the curator of contemporary art at the Art Gallery of Southwest Manitoba and then move on to another role that she still occupies today as a director and curator of the Dunlop Art Gallery in the Regina Public Library in Saskatchewan. Through our conversation, we explore reasons behind seeking curatorial opportunities outside of one's hometown, how to navigate new art ecologies, the reality of rooting oneself in a foreign social landscape, the importance of a loving network to support your aspirations, and the ever-evolving prairies of Black geographies. Integral to Alisa Ferrin's curatorial practice is a community-based approach that prioritizes historically and systematically excluded audiences. Alyssa is also an Art Canada Institute Fellow researching African-Canadian visual histories of the prairies. Alyssa Ferrin is based on Treaty 4 territory in Regina, Saskatchewan the original lands of the Cree, Ojibwe, Salto, Dakota, Nakota, and Lakota, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. Elisa recognizes the historical relations between African Canadians and Indigenous people. She also acknowledges that there's a long history of Black and Indigenous relations on this land, sometimes at odds, but often working together to resist settler colonialism. The, kin- the kinship between the communities is not new and continues to grow and evolve today. I am very grateful for her generosity in this discussion with me, and I really hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. Thank you for tuning in, and let's unpack the realities of curatorial practice one episode at a time. Alyssa, so happy to have you here to 
talk about your move from Toronto to the prairies. Uh, this is something I was I was really excited to dive into because as I told you before, I really admire you from for uprooting yourself like that and you know going for uh, the big opportunities that you you know went to get. And uh, yeah, and I wanted to encourage others who are thinking about doing the same type of move and are maybe concerned about like what's how do you you know rebuild a life uh, elsewhere. I think it's very different to think through rebuilding a life, uh, uprooting oneself for school versus uprooting yourself from, you know, for work. I think the way that you build, create community is different, um, maybe a little bit less straightforward. Mm-hmm. And so, and also a, there's the reality that for many who are not from that region, it can be intimidating as well. And, you know, there are certain centers in Canada that many feel more inclined to move to and gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that Toronto is a mecca also for the <laughs> art, especially like for racialized folks, for yeah. different type of positionalities and intersections. And so, yeah. But the first things first, I want people to know how amazing you are and what kind of work you're doing and what is your practice so if you can share a little bit about that for sure so right now my position is director curator at Dunlop Art Gallery which is situated inside the Regina Public Library here in Regina Saskatchewan and so I think my curatorial practice and my directorial practice have sort Ooh, yeah. of directorial. Into, yeah. I love it. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word, but we're going to go with it. We got to go with it and we got to make it a word. <laughs> so I think my curatorial and directorial practice have um, started to, or they sort of intertwine. Um, so as a director, my my work is very much focused on considering underrepresented or historically underrepresented communities that have been excluded, systemically excluded from participating in the gallery milieu. So I'm quite deliberate in my work about supporting the practices of artists from those groups, those communities. And so I think in terms of my curatorial work, there there are similarities there. I'm also quite interested in, you know, that which has been excluded, that which has been underrepresented. Right now, I'm quite interested in ideas around place, community, and Black historiographies, mm. and especially Black historiographies as it pertains to the prairies region, which is quite, you know, those are narratives that have been, yeah, quite underrepresented, quite excluded when we think about what gets told about this place. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think it's also what was also for me, like the alluring aspect also of having this conversation, because exactly like Black historiographies, like Black geographies in Canada mm-hmm. are not often inclusive of the prairies. And mm-hmm. I just want to highlight, like, there's a rich practice, there's a rich history. Uh, we just need to, like, get there, talk more about it. For sure. And 
yeah, I'm like, and I want people to follow your work and follow the work <laughs> of other curators who are there uh, that I've briefly encountered um, through the Black Curators Forum. There mm-hmm. is things happening all over, but some mm-hmm. exactly less exposed than others. And then, so I think in terms of like exactly like doing this research of Black historiographies and, you know, being over there. So I really want to know like the beginning (laughs) of the story. So Mm -hmm. uh, my question would be basically like what triggered the decision to apply for uh, the position of uh, curator of contemporary art in Brendan, Manitoba? Uh, You know, what was happening in your life Mm -hmm. during that time? Because you just curated uh, Scarborough Nuit Blanche, which is like huge. Um, (laughs) And I really had the pleasure to, to, go to it and navigate and like see the first edition yeah. like it was such as like mm-hmm. celebratory moment and so yeah my curiosity was like what was happening during that time yeah so that was in 2018 and it was such an exciting time not only for me but also for my community for the people around me for people who didn't know me so it was a really um I think it's a really um, pivotal moment in terms of various trajectories, including my own career trajectory. And so once I curated that, actually, I applied for the position in Brandon before Nuit Blanche happened. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was going through the interview process, quietly, silently going through the interview process while I was also Mm. working on Nuit Blanche. but I knew that, um, you know, as I was doing Nuit Blanche in Scarborough, I knew that I wanted to continue doing curatorial work professionally full time. I mm-hmm. um, I didn't want to go back to my previous nine to five position. And I, I knew that I wanted to just, you know, focus on, you know, do work as a curator. I thought, you know, I really want to give this an, an honest try and see where and see how I can do this, where it will take me, um, how might I develop in this through doing this work. And so um, I saw the position posted in Brandon. I had a lot of, I guess, fear around even applying for the position. Um, For a while, I thought, or not for a while, but rather, I would say I I didn't I didn't initially set out to leave Toronto. That wasn't that wasn't mm. the initial that wasn't the motivation necessarily. The motivation right. really was I wanted the opportunity to work professionally full time as a curator. Um, mm-hmm. And in Toronto, I had gotten various offers, but it was there were more gigs, more short term contracts. And I had mm-hmm. decided I didn't want to pursue curatorial work in that route any longer I had I wanted yeah I wanted to do something full-time and uh, so I saw the posting in Brandon I was like okay well I guess I'm gonna apply and see what could happen in Brandon I knew at the time when I was doing Nuit Blanche that you know my my visibility was at its highest point (laughs) yeah 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 capitalize on it let's do it (laughs) well you know it was my visibility was quite high and I thought if I'm gonna get an opportunity then I I've got to apply for it now um while people are seeing me and people know me so that's how that came to be and um 
um, I felt good about going to Brandon because um, at the time, you know, it, the, the director who hired me was John Hampton, who, who now is actually the CEO at the Mackenzie Art Gallery here in Regina. And so I felt really good going into the institution where he had a he had articulated a clear vision, one that aligned with my values. And um, they had a history of doing some quite strong curatorial work. So, yeah, that's what sort of prompted me. I think that once I was offered the position, though, so you also asked about pros and cons. That was yeah, that was like my wish. I was like, and then and then you got the position. So then, right. like, what was the decision making process? Like, how did you organize? Like, I even want like I'm like maybe people want some tips about like movers and how do you? <laughs> I had, I had Where are you store your stuff? <laughs> Yeah, I well, yes. Yeah, so, you know, speaking about the logistics, I had a, a great team of movers and they packed up everything. They moved everything. Um, yeah, I can give those details later. Yeah, but, that's like, um, we'll put it in like the podcast notes. Yeah, I actually wrote them a really great, strong Google review as well. So, but um, yeah, when I... Um, once I was offered the position, um, yeah, I think that I had two conflicting emotions on, on one mm. end. I was super excited because I was like, okay, great. I can, you know, do my thing as a curator and I'll be in this, with this institution. I'll have that, those resources, that support. And on the other hand, I was really scared um, because I was like, oh, what does it mean to leave behind my support network? What does yeah. it mean to leave behind my community? And what does it mean to move to a place where I don't really know anyone? Mm -hmm. And the winters are long. <laughs> <laughs> the winters are long, yes. And the winters yes. are long. <laughs> the winters are long and they are cold. I, I also had and to so learn. I also had to learn how to dress differently for winter. Yes, you gotta get better boots. <laughs> not those like yeah. little high tops, like Timberland high tops. No, 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 no. Not, not the same. Not the same. Life. It's not the same. No, no, no. So I had a lot of fear around um, that that transition and going to this place that I didn't really know anything about. I just knew it was, you know, predominantly white and a very small population. Population of Brandon mm -hmm. is only about maybe 50,000 people or so. Um, wow. Okay. Which is tiny. It, it just meets mm -hmm. the threshold for it to be called a city. And I grew up in Toronto all my life, well, specifically Scarborough, which, you know, is millions of people. Yes. So, um, yeah. And so I think I... I had, like I said, I have a really strong support network and they, they encouraged me, they motivated me to, to take the leap. Um, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, they motivated me to take the leap, to take the risk. And, and so, yeah, so, so I went with, um, with that sort of, you know, carrying their, carrying their, their belief, I guess, in, mm -hmm. in me and my abilities. 
even though it, it would take some time for me to catch up to that in, from, in my own self. Um, yeah. But I, I knew that I had their, their confidence in me. So that, that was enough, just enough, I think, to, to get oh, that's me there. beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's beautiful. And also, like, it's true. It's a, like, you know, your support network when they believe in you and they encourage you in that way. Like, it definitely makes you believe that you can do it. It's um, what happened to me also when I applied for grad school and then uprooting myself from Montreal to Toronto and then like, you know, like changing my whole life was also that, like having the community being like, you should apply, you should do it, you can do it. And then, and then I spent many amazing years. <laughs> in mm-hmm. general, I ended up staying six years. I thought I would stay two at the beginning. <laughs> and then, you know, I had an incredible experience. And so it's true mm-hmm. that like support from your community can carry you very far. Yeah, definitely. I I owe so much to to them, to those people, because yeah, it's hard to take these kinds of risks and go out on your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so you moved, you did you did the position. You work <laughs> as a curator of contemporary art at the Art Gallery of Southwestern Manitoba. Mm-hmm. But then you transitioned and you accepted a new role. You made your way to exactly uh, be a director and curator at the Dunlop Art Gallery. And so I kind of also wanted to touch upon that about like how you have been like creating this path for yourself and navigating this new like art ecosystem yeah if you can talk a bit about like um how it was a little bit like um being like a a director in that um uh, not a director a curator of contemporary in the first institution and then transitioning and like being at the Dunlop who is definitely like more kind of like a community like center you know because it's a part of the library right yeah that's correct yeah so it's definitely like different vibes uh different contexts of practicing so I'm really interested in those different roles and and yeah how what what what's your experience yeah I think yeah and so I should also say I'm, I'm based on Treaty 4 in terms of the transition from moving from Brandon to uh, Regina, I mean, primarily the transition for me was in the, the level of responsibility. Um, so in Brandon, I worked as a curator, very much focused on curatorial practice. And then now my role here um, in Regina is as a director. And so it's a different, you know, it's a different approach to working with community, working in a gallery. You know, when I got the position here in at Dunlop, some of the same sentiments around being fearful that that definitely came into play um, because I had been working at brand in Brandon as a curator for only not only but for a couple of years for two years, and then you know, this position came up in Dunlop and I was like, oh, am I ready to be a director? Am I ready to be a leader of, of you know, considered a leader? And I think at the time I felt like maybe I'm not quite ready for this yet. In terms of the transition from moving from Brandon to 
uh, Regina, I mean, primarily the transition for me was in the, the level of responsibility. Um, so in Brandon, I worked as a curator, very much focused on curatorial practice. And then now my role here um, in Regina is as a director. And so it's a different, you know, it's a different approach to working with community, working in a gallery. Yeah. So, you know, the main difference really is, yeah, the level of responsibility. So I, I think I, you know, when I got the position here in at Dunlop, some of the same sentiments around being fearful that that definitely came into play because I had been working at brand in Brandon as a curator for only not only but for a couple of years for two years and then you know this position came up in Dunlop and I was like oh am I ready to be a director am I ready to be a leader of of you know considered a leader and I think at the time I felt like maybe I'm not quite ready for this yet and I don't know like what is that elusive magical moment and so the more I take risks and in various aspects of my life I'm learning to let go of whatever this elusive magical moment might be and just you know just just begin where I am just just start yes. where I yes. want you know <laughs> yes 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 more so, people need to hear that yes yeah just start where you are and go from there and so and I think also part of it was so of course as a black woman and particularly as a young passing a young passing black woman I am 34 going on 35 but I definitely I quite often get um you know you know people assume that I'm much younger than I am mm-hmm. um so I mean I mean, it is a curse, but it is also I, I a blessing. I moisturize. <laughs> but, We've got um, the lotion seminar. <laughs> we can also type that in into the notes later too. His skincare. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I think you know, just being very aware of my positionality and my my appearance, um, I. I had a lot of uncertainty around, you know, am I what a leader looks like? I think I'd started to internalize a lot of these, you know, these notions, these images of what leadership, um, perhaps in Canada, the West, even maybe globally, of what a leader is supposed to look like, you know, mm-hmm. um, authoritative, white, male, all these sort of identity markers that we tend to associate with leadership. And, you know, I'm very aware that I'm, I'm not that, I'm not that physically. And also my, my, my approach to leadership is, you know, much more, it's collaborative. It Mm -hmm. is observant. It's contemplative, um, Mm -hmm. still strategic. Like, let me, you know, still, I mean, you know, I, don't get me there's, wrong. There's some logistics. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. You know, I'm quite deliberate about being clear with my staff, especially around my, my vision and how I want to, um, how I want to just, you know, how I want the place to operate. But yeah. it, it's, you know, it's, it's different than I think in terms of what we've come to understand as what leadership is supposed to look like. And so I had... 
I, I had to grapple with that, I think, when I was taking on this position. So, yeah. And then um, I think also when I first came into the role, um, or rather, I think when I when I applied at that transition, we're talking about the transition. So mm-hmm. um, in during that transition, it was also a really difficult time, I think, for me personally. I had spent the previous year going through a really difficult time. One of my family members um, had been diagnosed with cancer. And oh, I'm so it, sorry to hear that. And, um, you know, it's, it's a journey. Um, I don't know if you or I don't know, maybe anybody who's listening has ever dealt with a loved one with a cancer diagnosis, but it's, um, it's a marathon, not a sprint, and it's a long journey. Yes, and so yeah. at that time when I was about to start this new position at Dunlop, I was feeling quite spent already, just emotionally. Oh, um, and also it was the pandemic. And like it was also the pandemic. Entered in that big role. With yeah. Exactly. Like yeah, all of this, like exactly. life. And pandemic, in a pandemic. In a pandemic. And at that time, you know, like the pandemic was raging. It was like, you know, July, I think August 2020. And so it was still very much the time in the pandemic where nobody knew what was going on. And everybody Mm -hmm. was just, you know, totally isolated because it was it was a very legitimately scary time. Yes, And so I am. I was I was just feeling really spent, um, mm. like quite exhausted, having spent you know a lot of time in hospitals, um, having you know done a lot of time you know just advocating for my family members' health and navigating the healthcare system, which, which um, as um, as a black woman, it's there's layers to this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. All these things were I was personally dealing with, privately dealing with, because I'm not very open, I guess, about um, my personal mm-hmm. life. Um, Thank you so much for sharing this, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. difficult time of your life with us at this moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. because and I'm, you know, I wanted to give context because it's like when we see the the announcements, when we see the news releases, Mm -hmm. social media, whatever, it's, it's kind of, it can be uh, misleading because people will assume that there's just all these like fantastic moments that happen. And Mm -hmm. while there, and while there are moments of like, you know, amazingness and awesomeness, it's not all shooting stars and rainbows. It's not people's lives are complicated. Mm -hmm. My life, my life is complicated. And um, it's not easy. So I think all of these things were going through my my head, my mm. heart, while I was transitioning into the, the role at the Dunlop. And also in terms of my support network, it, it had been like completely strained at that time too because of right. the, the, the personal ordeals. And so I... Yeah, it was it was a challenging time, but at the same time, I had people in my corner who were like, you know, you you can do this, you've got to do this. 
You have the experience. You have you know. the experience. So I decided to take the, the position, even if, you know, a little bit, you know, with a bit of trepidation. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But I'm I'm quite I'm I'm quite grateful to the people who motivated me to take it because it's um, it's been um, you know such a rewarding journey so far. I work mm. with an awesome team of people. Oh, amazing! Yeah, I'm quite fortunate. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a really good place I think for me in in unexpected ways. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, thank you also so much for, you know, providing the context and within which you were transitioning and taking this new position, which exactly as you said, there are these announcements, but it doesn't portray the whole situation that you're navigating and and like the um, spirit within which you are, uh, you know, receiving um, these acknowledgement of uh, your success. And, you know, I wanted to transition to that and I, because you have been working in different settings and you also did this international residency, I kind of like also wanted to put it out there um, (laughs) that you're a person who has been, you know, kind of taking, you know, risks of practicing elsewhere more than once. Can you talk a little bit about the differences, the striking differences that you have seen uh, between working in Toronto, Brandon and Regina? Uh, You can also, you know, put in there like your international uh, fellowship that happened in Vienna, if I remember well. Salzburg. Salzburg. Where yeah, is Salzburg? Close, yeah, well, it's close to Vienna. You have to okay. go through, <laughs> you have to go through Vienna to get to Salzburg. Okay. Yeah, so a lot was happening back to back in a very close period of time. 2018 mm-hmm. was like pivotal in many ways. Right, right. And that's, yeah, because 2018 is also when I did the fellowship in Salzburg. I just remember feeling exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the flight and, one and the time zone. I was just like, <laughs> and then just like doing Nuit Blanche where like, I didn't really sleep, you know, so I was just right. Like, <laughs> You arrive there and you're like, I'm, I'm here. Yeah, I was just running on fumes at that point. And I was also having yeah. to pack for my move to Brandon because I oh was Oh my gonna, God. Yeah, it was. <laughs> That's wild. I was just like, I don't know how, I don't know how, I don't know how I did it. I mean, I, I did, I guess I did, obviously. I mean, you did, you did, it all happened. And we're here talking. And we're here talking about it. <laughs> But at the time, I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> wow. This is, yeah, um, no, this is wild, definitely. Yeah, although I will say Salzburg was, was a great experience. I met some, some, you know, really amazing, brilliant people who I, I just admire so much, and I'm still in touch with them today. Um, yes, because there's so, a global kind of like yeah. community network after. Can you uh, name uh, what this residency, like the name of the residency? Yeah. Um, and then we'll put in the show notes. Um, <laughs> any <laughs> reference um, to it? Sure. So, oh, my goodness, I I have to recall the name. Um, so, Don't worry about it. Um, young Cultural Innovators. Um, and so it's um, a program that was offered through the Canada Council, almost like an exchange-ish program of sorts where, you know, I think 
maybe four or five Canadians were invited to go to this week-long residency forum academy. I'm not sure how to describe it. And so um, there were, you know, different contingents from all over the world, which was really Mm. cool and exciting to meet people, you know, other like-minded folks from from various places. And so, um, yeah, it it was just a really exciting, um, exciting time. Oh my God, while moving. I had, I know, it, it was just the timing because New Blanche happened, it had to happen when it happened. Yeah. And then the Salzburg yeah. thing, it had to happen when that happened. And then the branding yeah. thing, I, I tried to, I negotiated a little bit of, you know, time before my start date, but yeah, there were also it like, still had curators. To <laughs> it had to happen. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm doing all these things back to back to back. Yeah, in terms of Toronto, Brandon, Regina, and then I suppose mm-hmm. like globally as well. So of course, you know, Brandon and Regina are much different places from Toronto. Regina yeah. is different from Brandon, although, mm-hmm. you know, to me, it's more similar to Brandon than it is to Toronto. And, you know, primarily the differences are, there's differences on the surface, which look like, you know, the the demographics, it's predominantly white in Regina Mm -hmm. and Brandon. I mean, it's there are parts of Toronto where it's predominantly white, but I I grew up in the part of Toronto where it's predominantly not white. Um, (laughs) I mean, yes, it is a different experience. (laughs) It's a different experience depending on where you are and where you go in Toronto. Um, Definitely. Yeah, so there are differences on the surface, but then there are other differences that I started to notice as I stayed longer in each place, Mm -hmm. like... um, some of the conversations around race, which especially around 2020 with mm. the George Floyd uprisings mm-hmm. that became more, um, more apparent. But um, I think the conversation out West, well, the Prairie specifically, it it's, seems to focus on a binary of settler versus indigenous. Whereas mm. I noticed in Toronto, the conversation around race is is quite is more nuanced, um, and that's right. probably just because you know the the demographics require it to be that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but when I came here, or rather when I left Toronto and I came to the prairies, it was like, okay, well, you know, um, how do we, you know discuss um black people in these conversations in these spaces how do we i guess um how do we speak to this with more more nuance the 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 complexity that it that it demands that it needs and so i i found myself you know thinking through that a lot and also just thinking through and understanding more issues around indigenous communities particularly in the prairies, because the population of indigenous um, peoples in Brandon and in Regina, it's, you know, the population size is way larger than in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And that's just how it is in the prairies. And so that shifted my thinking. And also just um, in terms of working as a director and institution out here, there's there's a different way of relating to people like the competition isn't as you know in Toronto there's there's definitely competitiveness to the city um, because there's so few opportunities and there's so so many fish in the pond basically yeah 
Whereas I think out here, people people really appreciate that you're out here and they they want you to stay they want you to be here right. <laughs> right, not to right. say that that's not the case like people want me to be there in Toronto no too, but, it's but I also it's different but also in Toronto it's like there's like this hustle mindset like it's yes. real well I'm saying that not knowing like life you know cost living costs in mm. um regina but there is also this like mm-hmm. it's expensive in toronto and yeah, there's fewer yeah. opportunities and a lot of the exactly. opportunities are unsustainable and there's also the scarcity mindset that is yeah. like very much entrenched that also kind of push people to really participate in this yeah. um like competitiveness um for things yeah and so so those are some differences that I noticed and um you know I think it's been it's been really interesting for me to also see other parts of Canada see what the contemporary art scenes are like in places other than mm-hmm. Toronto when I was living in Toronto, my, my focus was, you know, it, it's just on Toronto because why, yeah. why look elsewhere? Like Toronto. I know it's very easy to be <laughs> Toronto centric, but I also think the same, like I'm in Montreal. It's very easy to be Montreal centric as mm, well. <laughs> that feeling that push to like, I've got to do my homework here. I've, I've got to mm-hmm. really do my research and due diligence to see like what are what else is happening outside of Toronto? What's happening in Western Canada, specifically the prairies? Um, mm-hmm. And that's been that's been a really generative place for me to be in um, because I've gotten to meet some incredible artists and curators who are doing who are doing important work. And that definitely also like goes into the question I I have about what is like, you know, how does place influence your curatorial practice, which you already touched upon a little bit. But I, I think I want to hear more about um, maybe uh, some of the, the due diligence uh, you have been doing or, or you know, like what kind of curatorial theme that like came out for you as you're working here. Like, how did that shift your perception exactly like or broaden your perception in terms of uh the relationships that uh, we have with mm-hmm. um with the land with um as as you know being uh, posi- our positionalities as as black women mm-hmm. and also um with the indigenous communities surrounding us yeah like uh, and and also like mapping blackness across across that like how yeah yeah um i mean it's yeah. a good question yeah <laughs> let's start with like bite-sized answers <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is a big question and one that i'm still um, yeah i don't think it's finite no? it's like it's it's yeah. ongoing it's, it's ongoing it's definitely ongoing you know even at this very moment i think when i moved to brandon you know, I definite, and I moved like in the in the middle of the winter, basically. But just at the, I'm like, at, just at the beginning, yeah, I moved just at the beginning of winter. It was, I think, um, end of October, beginning of November. Because so, you didn't want any of this journey from 2018 <laughs> to be easy. <laughs> any bits of it. <laughs> Yeah, that was, that was something. Yeah, because the winter, 
the winter there is very long as we as we said mm -hmm. it's very mm -hmm. long and it's very cold and so I moved right at the beginning of this long winter and I think that it informed the way that I approached my practice because I mm -hmm. became quite you know I had to become quite insular and and focused I didn't know anybody couldn't really go outside because it's like minus 40 degrees outside oh, and <laughs> I mean, we have some of those in Quebec, but you know. Well, I mean, this is I'm like still not into next it. level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's next level. Um, and so, yeah, so and so, like yeah. you've been doing wintering, basically. Like, yeah, maybe more of a contemplative yeah. mindset. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I um I I started with just doing a lot of research, and I did start to do a lot of research around um, historically black settlements um, mm. in the prairies because mm -hmm. I I had an interest in in those communities even before I went to Brandon. Of course, you know, we know about the work of artists like Deanna Bowen. Um, mm -hmm. We know about work that you know, people like uh, Charmaine Nelson is doing in terms mm. of, you know, making visible black historiographies, Karina Vernon, etc. A lot of those scholars and artists were already front of mind for me. And so I started to do research around historically black settlements in around, in and around Manitoba. I think I was also just searching for a sense of kind of like groundedness, grounding. Um, yes. Because moving um moving around that feeling of isolation kind of like like uprooted almost being uprooted from yes. a sense of place that you you know that you're familiar with that you mm -hmm. have your your community in um that felt i think it was more destabilizing for me than i initially um understood at that time yeah. And so I think a lot of that research was maybe even unconsciously or consciously being motivated by that like sense of placelessness and that that searching, that seeking for a grounding. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to like situate myself in this new environment or this new landscape. I started doing more research and that, you know, led me to stumble upon the work of an artist named William Billy Beale, who yes. um, I've been continuing research on him for the mm -hmm. past several years. And, and I, I will be doing even more thorough research in, in the near future. Um, so glad you brought that research <laughs> up because it's so interesting. Yeah, thank you. It's been, um, it's, that's, it's been a journey. And so it through doing that initial research it led me to stumble upon his work so billy beale for those listening who may not be aware um billy beale was a black manitoban photographer who practiced in the early 1900s he was quite committed to documenting you know the people places and events of his community in the swan river valley region which is located in it's a small township in western manitoba and so i think when i stumbled upon his work it really resonated with me i just immediately connected with with his work and who this man was or who he might have been who i'm still learning about which is exciting for me and so i 
I just connected to that. And I thought, you know, here's this man who, you know, I guess he, I saw some likenesses or similarities in some Mm -hmm. ways with his journey because he also moved, he left his home, which at the time was in, um, in Minnesota, in the the United States. Mm -hmm. He left in, um, I believe it was 1906. And he moved on his own to this small rural township in the middle of Manitoba. We can only guess at what his motivations might have been. Yeah. I mean, we, we know at least it was for opportunities, job opportunities. Mm-hmm. Also, owning and, land. Like, and that's owning land, Something yes. that was like so hard to get as for sure. black men in general. For sure. And so access, right, to these various opportunities that were not Mm -hmm. as accessible to him where he was coming from. Definitely motivators. We know that. And so I saw some, I guess, you know, some similarities in his journey um, of moving to this place that he didn't know and he moved there on his own. But also I think it helped to ground me with this understanding that, you know, the presence of Black peoples in this region, in the prairies, mm-hmm. is is a long one. And so for at least 200 years in the prairies, and of course, even yeah. longer, when we, when we think about Canada more broadly, at least 400 yeah. years, but specifically mm-hmm. in the prairies, and even more specifically in Manitoba, because that's where it was mm-hmm. at the time, that's where, yeah. I... I I needed to have I needed I needed to you know connect to that um, because I really wanted to situate my work as I I, I want to situate my work as not just exi- existing within this vacuum as you know this, this one black person you know doing this right. curatorial work because at the time like how it is now in the prairies the the black curatorial population has. Like it has has gone up. Um, Mm -hmm. We have people in Saskatchewan like Crystal Mowry now at the Mm McKenzie, Michelle Jakes, who's at the Ramey Modern. Um, But when I moved at the time, there weren't any uh, professional, there weren't any black curators and institutions in the prairies. And I felt, you know, quite isolated, doubly isolated, I guess. And so just understanding that, okay, here was this, this black, this black person, this black creative, Billy Beale, who, you know, was a true cultural producer. And here he, you know, there he was doing his work hundreds of years ago. And then, mm-hmm. so in what ways am I part of this continuum? And in what ways am I also contributing to, um, you know, this foundation for future black culture producers in the prairies? because and and also present in terms of like being in conversation with each other well yes Mm -hmm. exactly and the and the more time i've spent here the more time i've gotten to meet other black culture producers in the prairies which is really exciting but i i needed to i needed to do that I, i i'm like i'm really glad i'm really grateful that i um stumbled upon his work or maybe his work found me i don't know mm-hmm. um <laughs> maybe it's both maybe it's both i feel like it's both <laughs> yeah but but either way it's been it's been um yeah a, a really generative space for me to be in i love it 
I also was like wanted to like know more about you know the projects that excite you at the moment and so I think it's like an amazing segue for that for like wrapping up our little talk yeah I mean our little talk our our big conversation (laughs) our big talk our meaningful (laughs) conversations I don't know why I like belittled this moment right now (laughs) because It's pretty, it's really amazing. And I, and I'm actually very grateful for your generosity and the conversation mm-hmm. that we're having. So it's not our little talk. It's our <laughs> big talk. But I, I, I'm happy that you were talking about your research and how you grounded your, yeah. uh, yourself in the space. And because I also want to have the opportunity to hear, hear about what it excites you right now. Who are the people you have been meeting? Who are, like, what are the collaborations that you're doing right now in Regina, but also elsewhere? Like, what are you doing? What excites you? What makes you smile? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so working on a few different projects right now. Um, of course, because of course. no <laughs> one can work on only one project. I that know, would just right? be too reasonable. I know, right? It's like, it's like, it's like let's just like, what? what's that? Let's just always, let's just always have too many projects. On yeah, the for real. Yeah. Um, so I mean the gallery the gallery is working on a number of different things I also maybe I'll focus a bit more on what specifically I'm working on yes um, please which 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 intersects uh... with what the gallery is Mm -hmm. doing as well of course so coming up in October I'm curating an exhibition by um Echo Nimako who is an artist who's based in Toronto Ghanaian Mm -hmm. Ghanaian Canadian artist Yes. Um, he works primarily with Lego bricks as his medium. I first worked with him um, at Nuit Blanche in Scarborough. Yeah. He we commissioned. It was him. very impressive. It was very impressive. Yeah, was definitely. Impressive. Yeah, people really loved that one. And so he we commissioned Echo to do a project for Nuit Blanche where he worked with Director X. And then um, I decided I really wanted to work with Echo again. So I'll be curating a solo show of his work, all brand new work, which is really exciting. Awesome. So exciting. Debut in the prairies in Regina. Yes. And then I'm also working on a project related to, yeah, Black historiographies and Black geographies, which I'm hoping Mm -hmm. We'll be ready for sometime next year, fall Mm -hmm. 2023, I hope. Okay. Which will be... And um, and what's the form? (laughs) I'm like, what's the format? I'm excited. Yeah. So there'll be an exhibition, uh, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, some of Billy Beal's original glass plates. Um, (gasps) I'll be... Yeah, I've gotten access to some of the plates. It's... It's it's challenging work, I'm not going to lie, because for a long time, the plates just were not properly cared for. Um, oh. So a lot have, you know, disappeared, been destroyed just through improper conservation efforts. There's very few plates left, um, which is unfortunate. And especially as a curator, yeah. you know, like you, you know, we're we're so invested in in care for artists and thinking and about that stewardship, that stewardship, stewardship and maintenance. Exactly. Yeah. 
So mm-hmm. as a curator, for me, it's quite heartbreaking. But even just as a person who's interested in, you know, just thinking about the past and anyways, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking in a way, but also I'm feeling quite honored that I'll have the opportunity to present at least what is left that we have access to. Yeah. And so presenting some of his work, which will be presented alongside work by contemporary and emerging African-Canadian artists of the prairies, um, especially oh, awesome. focused on lens-based artists. Um, mm-hmm. And so we've also commissioned work by a filmmaker named Cheryl Fogo. So okay. Cheryl Fogo is, she's a Calgary-based artist, filmmaker, director, and um, she's going to be creating a short film about the unmarked graves in the histor- at the historical Black church in Maidstone, Saskatchewan. So Maidstone, okay. Saskatchewan was the site of the, the first Black settlement in Saskatchewan, which, oh. yeah, Black migrants moved to the area in 1908. And Cheryl Fogo is mm. a direct descendant of the Black migrant communities. Um, they call themselves the Shiloh people. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And so she'll be doing a short film about the unmarked graves. There was um, a historical black church in the area, which is still standing, actually. There have been a lot of, um, you know, advocacy efforts around supporting that structure. Like- yeah, and um, there will also be other contemporary artists who I haven't quite confirmed yet, so I won't make those announcements quite yet. Yeah. But in terms of artists who are here in the prairies, whose um, black artists whose work excites me, you know, there's people like there's a Winnipeg contingent. Um, so mm. there's definitely like a group of students who are connected to University of Manitoba. So of course Luther Konadu, I think, being the most visible at the moment. Um, yes. There's also people like Chukudubem, Ayuna J, Malet Kuff. Um, oh yeah yeah i met with my mm-hmm. yeah and um probably some others that i'm forgetting in saskatchewan there's um um there's shimbi jebrahiwot who um is a good friend of mine and they're based here in regina um currently executive director of saskatchewan film pool and also Ooh. an artist in their own right which is initially how okay. i came to know shimbi now also we work in, in this like arts leadership capacity in Saskatchewan. Mm. And then Alberta, I'm still getting to know the Alberta scene, but I've gotten to know people like Braxton Garneau. Also, uh, I'm forgetting so many names. This is the hard part about names. Oh, don't worry. I'm, people, I'm very but, also bad but, about um, <laughs> But you've named a few and it's also yeah. just... It's it's more about highlighting that there is a network, yes. uh, one that you are involved in, one that is you know active, and and then it's gonna you know I'm sure incite a lot of interest in looking up people that you have named, but also the people that these people know. You know, exactly. It's, it's, I think uh, in this day and age, it's it's um, easier to understand one's social context by only looking up their Instagram profile. 
or <laughs> website or you know and yeah. so yeah, yeah one other go thing ahead. i should say about the the project around billy beale so tentatively the, the title is tentatively called black prairies um mm. also there will be a publication um, oh yes that was actually a question i had yes, i was like oh, yeah. i would love to see a publication yes. and read more and yes yeah. there there will be a publication no news yet on the date of when that will happen because it's it still exists only in my head <laughs> but there there will be an exhibition catalog for sure um and mm-hmm. possibly other publications to go along with that and so within the next year or so that that's that's going to be happening and i'm very oh that's so excited fantastic. for it yeah I'm very thrilled. I'm gonna. Yeah. There's so many catalogs I want. <laughs> yeah. Well, right now, like I just have this never-ending list of exhibition catalogs <laughs> that I would like to own, um, as other books. Mm-hmm. And then, You'll want this yeah, one. <laughs> I will. I'm sure I will. Like I, I, if it was already a question of like, is there a catalog? <laughs> I want, and I, I just love the sort of intergenerational dialogue that you're creating through the exhibition and yeah that's really something that mm-hmm. um it's very like salient i think also thank you I, yeah mm-hmm. i mean so of course you know billy beale's historical work from the 1900s planning to also um work with a lot of emerging artists and potentially even emerging curators to be involved mm-hmm. in the project um, Cheryl Fogo is more of an established filmmaker. Um, she's been working for at least the past 30 years, winning a bunch of awards for her for her films. She's has more so existed within the filmmaking and documentary making world, not so much as the contemporary art world. But, you know, I think as as you know, if we think about black communities and the ways that black communities have been well excluded as i was saying from the contemporary art Mm -hmm. world if we think about people like sylvia hamilton or claire prito and these are very much you know filmmakers documentary makers that cross over between the contemporary or visual art worlds and i place cheryl's practice in that same vein as well Mm -hmm. so um she may not be as familiar to some contemporary art audiences although i do know she um has been very influential for deanna bowen's work and they're Mm -hmm. they're good friends and collaborators but um i'm really excited to work with her because i think her her perspective is just gonna be so so rich to have as part of this project Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. We need cheaper flights, cheaper flights <laughs> to go across Canada and see shows. Can we? It. We should have like let's see, like this like art curatorial like package <laughs> <laughs> that like allows us to travel easily to other provinces and just like soak in all the beautiful, incredible work that everybody is doing through and through from like west to east, east to west. You know, like there's so much happening, and I feel like I'm missing out so much because of like. How big mm. is this place? <laughs> <laughs> it's so yeah, big. It is but very big. I'm thrilled. Yeah. I'll get yeah. the catalog. I'll get a piece of the exhibition of the experience at mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, but of I, course. I just and hopefully hopefully I can send it on tour. We'll see. I'm I'm still working on that, but I'd I'd yes. love to send it to 
other parts because even though it's you know specific to the the geographies of the prairies like obviously these are perspectives and this is work that i think is totally relevant relevant for for... other parts of canada and and more broadly because you know we don't talk enough about is like black visual culture in canada Mm -hmm. especially the history of that so of of settlement as well also i think Mm -hmm. and um now you're just giving me this like nugget of a golden idea because you know how I told you like I would love to do maybe a season two if all goes well with um, this first season and I'm like yes talking about touring exhibitions mm-hmm. how does one go mm-hmm. about organizing that applying for that suggesting that it's an idea that I find personally intimidating but I have a friend who was like, you should do that. Like you should try to, you know, get your shows like touring and stuff. Anyway. So thank you for this golden idea. This is why I love being conversation and brainstorming. There's always, always so much good coming out of it. Like, Mm -hmm. and I like, I get so energized. Anything you would like the listeners to know before we you know continue about our days (laughs) yeah I mean so you know we started this discussion talking about taking risks and um you know moving to unfamiliar places um so I I think that you know, and it's not for me to tell people to like, oh yeah, just do it. It's easy because it's not. Um, it's important to have a solid support network. Um, it's important to, you know, thoroughly, thoroughly research these decisions before deciding if it's right for you. Um, and what do you mean by like thoroughly research? What would be like, an example of that? Yeah, I mean, so before going to Brandon, I made sure I knew about the institution and the leadership. I, you know, knew that there was also a university there. So it was kind of a university town. So I knew that I'd be able to Mm -hmm. also get, you know, maybe some adjunct um, teaching opportunities there. I knew a few I knew a few of the movers and shakers there because my uncle had lived there just before I'm he left just before I moved there, timing. Okay. But I knew that it would be a place that I could I could grow in. Okay. And mm-hmm. I, I knew mm-hmm. that because of the the level of research that I put in before I made that leap. So it was a risk, a very calculated risk. But um I would advise people to, you know, to put in that level of research as well. And um, yeah, but but at the same time, even if you're scared, you can still do it. And there is no there's no magic moment where you'll be ready or mm-hmm. at, least, at least there wasn't for me. Um, <laughs> and then but even if there's not, that can still be OK and you can still you can still go. And what about I think uh, one of the things that I guess like scare most is um exactly like this feeling of like of isolation maybe like so how do you what would be like a little like advice about 
connecting with people and also I think there's this really realistic thing to say that like it takes at least like two to three years to like to feel rooted in a space and that's like something to you know be aware and know but like yeah what is a little advice about connecting and creating community yeah I think yeah, I've I've had to learn how to do that, like to connect and create mm-hmm. community because in Brandon, I don't think I was as intentional about that. And that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. And so coming here to Regina, it's, you know, meeting people as much as possible, even though it's a pandemic. I mean, Zoom, Zoom coffees, Zoom, Zoom coffees, Zoom coffees but, but even beyond that. So one of the things that yeah. I started when I came here to Regina was um, I started out this little group called Brown Girl Outdoor World. And so basically mm. what we do is it's a group of women of color. Well, specifically black women, um, black women, trans, queer, femme, totally inclusive. And we get together once a month and we do some kind of outdoor adventure um, look at you See, i i love that i'm like what is the last bit that you know you would like to share and you're like hello i'm also having this like completely rad outdoor initiative it is pretty yes, rad yes, i will say yes. and so i i will also say that it's the group the name of the group the f- format of the group was inspired by a group of the same name brown girl outdoor mm-hmm. world in toronto which is started mm-hmm. by this really awesome black woman named demisha Dennis. And so mm-hmm. her group was just getting started in Toronto as I was moving, like leaving Toronto. And I was like, oh my mm-hmm. goodness, this sucks. I'm so disappointed because they sound so rad and I won't get to be part of it because mm-hmm. I'm moving. But then when I came here to Regina, I said, oh, maybe I'll start my own little like informal de facto chapter. I got the blessings from Demisha, which is which mm-hmm. is great. And then um, I told a friend who told a friend, who told another friend, and so on and so forth. And now we're at about 20 members strong, which is, um, you know, it's it's such a, yeah, it's like just, you know, creating these spaces, um, carving out these spaces um, to remind yourself, remind myself that, you know, this is a place that I, I, you know, I, belong you belong to I belong, yeah, to, I belong here belong. and yeah. you know also affirming for others that they also belong here there are not many mm-hmm. spaces in Regina Saskatchewan the prairies for mm-hmm. for black people especially black women and of course you know with COVID and um, the pandemic it made a lot of sense for us to be doing stuff outdoors so yeah, you should see us when we roll up too. <laughs> it's just yeah, like this bunch of black it. women in the middle of Saskatchewan and we roll up to go, you know, hiking or we roll up and we go skiing or we go to the pumpkin patch, like whatever. We've done yes. so many different kinds of activities. Oh, I love it so much, but also um, like let's expand what are the activities. Like let's expand what is you know like let's expand in practice what is blackness is in canada which is like yeah. so plural exactly know? exactly it's, plural, it's many times of the many types of interests it's for sure you know it's alive it's striving sure. it's doing things it's yeah. going to pumpkin patches it's going fishing it's going fishing. you know it's going into these really predominantly white settings and showing mm-hmm. up and having an 
amazing time and you know going to the beach and mm -hmm. playing like zook music or playing dance hall really loud <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah predominantly yes. white space Let's and just it. vibing and being black and enjoying that mm -hmm. you know against the oh odds God. sometimes but still yeah. but still there's always been joy otherwise we yeah. would not be here exactly there's always been joy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh my god this is i'm like ah! i'm like my heart is like screaming right now <laughs> it's like all my insides are like screaming oh this is like such a beautiful way to like wrap up this mm -hmm. episode and oh my god thank you so much This episode was made possible through the support of the Canada Arts Council and the Center for the Study of Black Canadian Diaspora. I send my deepest gratitude to my collaborator and invited guest. I am grateful for your presence, labor, and for embarking on this adventure with me. I recorded this episode in Jojage, which is situated on the traditional territory of the Kanyakehaga nations and long served as a site of meeting and exchange amongst many First Nations, including the Kanyakehaga of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, Uhawandat, Abenaki, and Anishinaabe. The theme music is Raindrops Unhearted by Shaltekrach.